Well, g'day everyone and welcome to Life in the Peloton, brought to you by our partners, Rafa. Now, I know you saw it out there. Well, if you didn't, I don't know where you were, but out there on the interwebs last week, or if you're up at the Beechworth Granite Classic, yes, I'm talking about it, Life in the Peloton via. A little thing we did with the awesome brewers up there at Beechworth, the Bridge Road Brewers, the Life in the Peloton via. Ah, it was amazing. I love that. Thank you to everyone who got their hands on some. It's bloody awesome. So cool to see. And of course, so cool to drink your own beer. Life in the Peloton beer. It's out there. There's only a few cans left. There's going to be a few iconic kegs around Melbourne coming to you. So keep your eyes out for them. And I'll let you know where they're going to be. So you can come down and have a drink with me. Life in the Peloton beer on tap. How good's that? Well, this week, guys, let's talk about it. The episode I've got for you, it's about bikepacking, bikepacking tech, that is. What is bikepacking? You're probably asking yourself. You may know, but for anyone out there who doesn't know, it's a term we hear at the moment. It's off-road adventure cycling where you're carrying all lightweight gear. It's essentially hiking, but instead of walking, you're riding. You know, instead of a backpack, you've got the stuff strapped on your bike. Bikepacking, look, it's not a new thing. We all think it is right now, but it's actually been around for well over a century. Way back in Australia, the overlanders was a term they used to describe long distance cyclists of the late 19th and early 20th centuries who, at the time when bicycles were far from the bikes of today's standards, went on adventures that were most often born out of necessity and they just set out into the bush adventuring on these old school bikes. These people crossed Australia by bike At a time when there was no real roads, there was no maps, there was no known towns or water sources, no technology of any sort, these guys were some of the true original bikepackers in my opinion. Look, I'm sure it was all over the world. I'm only talking about the Australian ones that I know. So now we know where it's come from. I think we're more a bit in tune to what it's about today. As it's become pretty fashionable, and you know, and rightly so, because it's really fun. I love doing it. I love getting out there. However you do it, you know, whether you're camping, whether you're doing it in a race, if you're staying at pubs like I like, or in hotels, if you're doing it with friends or just on your own, riding all night long. Well, that's what I thought would be really interesting with this episode. I wanted to break it down a bit, get into the tech, and understand some of the necessary equipment and some of the little tricks that make your trip that much better. And I thought, who better to discuss this with than bikepacking and all-round cycling legend, Lockie Morton. Now, speaking about bikepacking, a really exciting collaboration between our friends Rafa and Snowpeak, who are the leading Japanese outdoor design brand, have come together for their second capsule collection. They've got some really cool stuff. They've got some fast-drying merino tees, insulated down jackets. They've also got this cool collection of lightweight titanium camp essentials, all staples that you can use while bikepacking, exploring the outdoors. Get across to Rafa online, get into one of their stores, one of their clubhouses, and check this out. This is a limited edition, and I reckon this stuff will go really quick, and it's all in tune with what we're talking about in this episode. Just before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a little bit about Athletic Greens. AG1 is a foundation of daily health. It's more than just greens. It's a comprehensive blend of vitamins and minerals, probiotics, superfood complexes. It helps provide digestive support, immunity support, metabolism, energy, and stress support. It's that all-in-one 
And it's something that I had when I was racing professionally overseas. But actually, it's one of the things that I've continued to use since retiring as well. Look, that's just because it's not just for elite sports people. It's for anyone who wants to feel good and make sure they're covering their nutritional bases. Time is short, back in the real world, being a dad, and that's why I like AG1. I like to start each day on the right foot, right then and there. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, the Athletic Greens is giving you one free year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go across to Athletic Greens slash Life in the Peloton. That's Athletic Greens slash Life in the Peloton. Check it out, guys. I think you'll like that one. Now, guys, sit back. There's nothing more to say. Get your notepads out. This is a pretty entertaining one. Always great chatting to Lockie, but here you go. This is a bit of tech, bikepacking tech with our good friend, Lockie. All right, Lachlan Morton, Lockie, mate, you and I, I'll link myself into this. We, we like to do some trips and I took a lot of inspiration off you also a good friend of mine Swain Taft about bikepacking about getting off road but with these trips comes a lot of questions you know when you put something on the internet you know people asking what about the tires what about the bags I had a lot of questions when I did my first trip actually I borrowed your bags um I was a bit of a novice I had a lot of questions for Swaino too and as you do more and more you understand a little bit more but that's what we're going to do in this podcast mate welcome to the podcast again great to be have you back awesome to be back mate been a little minute but uh yeah finally recovered from the rat to rattleade and um <laughs> good good to touch base i thought there's no one better to ask than yourself about this some of the stuff you've done if anyone hasn't known you know gb duro probably one of the bigger ones, the old tour that you did, you know, um, a couple of years ago following the Tour de France, Badlands, one there down in Spain. You've got the Colorado Trail, which is another epic on mountain bikes, three peaks in there, Unbound, Big Sugar, the Gravel Worlds, and then, of course, Rat to Radelaide, among many other trips that you've done. So, there's lots of stuff, lots of experience you've got from all your trips, isn't there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I discovered bikepacking later on like after being very much a road racing cyclist just fell in love with it you know the simplicity of it the different experience you can have riding a bike that is like a you know a big departure from our kind of relationships traditionally with bikes it's something that just allows you to for me anyway came back to the beginning right back to the beginning why i started cycling just for that adventure side of things and obviously and you i think you're the same there comes a point where you sort of lose way of that because you just get involved with the competition and you love the racing. And then, yeah, you sort of, well, in my case, much later than you, you sort of fall out of love with that whole racing scene. Um, I love your story a bit. Not that we're getting into that today, but we might as well. But let's talk about that, that, that sort of, that curve. You know, you come into it as a young guy, you love it. You went into racing and then you fell out of love with it. But then you sort of found racing again in a different way, didn't you? Yeah, totally. You know, I loved racing bikes when I was a kid for the reason that I think a lot of us do. You know, it's exciting. It's a good community. And then you kind of get justification out of your results. And then Hmm. um, the pursuit of improvement is pretty addictive. And that kind of goal of reaching the highest level of the sport becomes pretty consuming. And, yeah, I think that's a good drive to have. But 
as you said, I think along the way of kind of pursuing that very singular focus, you really hone in on purely competition. The adventure side kind of goes away a bit, you know? Like I, I remember training when I was a kid before school was like an adventure, you know, because yeah. you're getting up at five in the morning and going out and riding in the dark and like you kind of had this whole day almost before you went to school. And I love that element of it. But then like training gets more specific and you kind of end up treating the road like a gym in a way. Yeah. You know, you're going out there and doing sets and reps with certain recovery and, and hitting different sessions to try and optimize your performance when it comes to a race. And in that gut, in that pursuit, it becomes very difficult to leave room for adventure, you know, because... Mm. Adventure is the opposite where there isn't much of a plan. Lots of things go sideways. Um, you kind of often have to have to abuse your body a little bit to get what you want out of it. The outcomes are you, you like results. The outcomes are experiences. Um, so it's very drastically different. And I think as I fell out of love with racing, I definitely fell in love with cycling more just in a very different way mm. yeah well then why have you how's it come back again now i love like i know we're drifting off let's get into the tech in a second but the way i've sort of seen you when we were when we sort of came together again after a lot of years over in europe you were sort of stepping away from europe at that point and then you know a couple of years later you were back there um so you had that chance to sort of find adventure in cycling again but you still never frayed away from the racing um that's something's still been there the whole time hasn't it yeah and i and i do still enjoy it and for me like i never want to get too comfortable what i'm doing i i've really loved the ultra and adventure stuff that started to become a bit too comfortable for me and it was easy for me to just follow down that route because i was getting good at it and i understood it and then when i like looked back at racing it intimidated me and scared me a bit so i was like you know what i should probably dip into that keep challenging myself because that's like i don't know that the, i think the variety um and that constant just stressing yourself a little bit is good you know and it keeps everything fresh i've done a couple of road races in the last little bit and i can comfortably say i'm, I'm done with that <laughs> and I, but i'm glad to have come to that conclusion you know, yeah. on my own. But no, I still love getting out there and racing because racing is also very simple once you're in the race. I think like you probably can relate to this, that once you're in the race, it's great. You know, I mean, it's hard. It's you hate it, whatever, in certain moments, but it's very simple. And your life comes down to like a basic finish line and a set of things you're trying to do on the way there. I think that the... The process of getting to the start line in the way you want is a thing we all hate, right? The travel, the train, yeah, the the anxiety. Are you fit enough? Are you gonna? What's gonna happen? But you just need to get in the race to find out. All right, I, I, I'm definitely not fit enough. But how am I going to get through this? You know, you work a different ways around it. Yeah, and, and because you have that experience of being a racer, you can kind of manage yourself in a race. You know, even if things aren't ideal and your preparation's not perfect. I still, I still love that game and I love the, you know, the, the intensity of, of like hanging on at a really intense part of a race is so different from the, the challenges of like a long drawn out ultra and the mind state's very different and that's mm-hmm. something I've always struggled with more than I have like in the long form where I can control everything. Um, so I think it's good 
it's a good thing to, to just put yourself through and, and keep fresh in your head because it only then enhances your appreciation of the the ultra and the adventure stuff when you get to go and do it you know um it, ke- it keeps it like fresh in your head as to why i love this because it's different than you know well let's speak about ultras and let's speak about bike packing that's what we're here for um let's speak about the first one gb duro not the whole event but what i want to talk about is something i guess you can probably think back to i could be wrong here but one of the the first big ones that you did um one that you really had to prepare for one you probably really needed to have your stuff dialed in but of course if you haven't done something like that how can you have it dialed your idea of being dialed in then compared to now is so different let's maybe get just before we set up before we start talking about all this let's get your head around that and how you sort of went about that and everyone's probably thinking the same as you were back then they're about to do their first trip or just done a couple of trips they're thinking i just don't know what to get like i what tires and and you know bags and you know what do you do if you run out of power all that sort of stuff how are you getting your head around that before you took on GB Duro and just quickly set up because I can't remember exactly the the full distance of GB Duro so people can get their head around what that trip was too yeah that that's like the uh, Lands End to John Groat so the length of the UK predominantly off road I think it's two thousand k or so and it was broken into four stages. And yeah, like like you said, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing before that. Um, like I'd done long trips, but I mean, before that, I basically would just take a backpack, you know, and yeah. I'd throw it on the back and put in a change of clothes. And I'd had, I don't think at that point I'd camped while riding. So it was just more like, you know, change of clothes, some shoes, rain jacket, yeah. like basic stuff. But then I, like switching to be like, okay, this is competitive. I need to like cut down what I'm using but I need to make sure I have everything and so I think like anyone I just went online and and researched other people's packing lists which is not a bad place to start because there's always things that you don't think of but still like I remember trying to pack everything I only got the bike the day before the race Tom Hopper uh (laughs) my mechanic was like frantically building it at the at the Rafa big uh office in London and we were trying to work out where to fit the bags and like <laughs> what was going to fit where. And like, <laughs> I was, I was so overwhelmed, you know, like to the point where I kept put, putting things in and out. I was trying to go to sleep the night before and I'd switch the lights back on and be like, no, I should put this in. <laughs> like, um, you know, just making like decisions based off no experience, you know, in the end, you, you kind of have to start somewhere. And I think, you know, using other people's packing lists is not a bad place to start. And then you kind of, through your own experience, you start to work out the things that you use more, the things you don't use at all. And then I think more importantly than that, the things that make you feel comfortable knowing that you have versus Mm. the things that you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm never going to use this and I don't care if I I can be uncomfortable without it and it's fine. So like through that process of just doing things, and then you, you get very comfortable, like when you first load everything on a bike like that, and when you're used to riding road bikes or race mount bikes or whatever, it, it feels like you're like, this thing's a tank. And for like two hours, that's all you can think about is you're like, man, this thing is way too heavy. Uh, I didn't like in that, in that race, I didn't think about the fact that I'd be going slower. So I was way over geared, you know, I had yeah, like, right. Didn't have enough gears. Yeah. I think my smallest gear was like a 36, 30 or something. 
and you're climbing just like these walls off road with like a fully loaded bike. So it's just doing strength efforts like the whole length of UK. Force you to go faster. Yeah. Well, I just hadn't considered the fact that I was like, oh, yeah, of course I'd be going slower because I've got like 10 kilos of stuff. Little things like that you learn once since <laughs> you learn quickly because like it's very apparent. Other things can take a bit longer, you know. I think initially I was more focused on like packing as light as possible and like, you know, cutting down onto like a really light sleeping bag, a really light movie, uh, a very small like light mattress. Those things that I think coming from a race background, you just lean towards because you think our light is better, light is faster. But then I think... You know, you have a few miserable nights sleep where you're cold and, and like, um, you, you you start questioning that again. Yeah, well, then it's all a trade-off, right? Yeah, well, what's the point in, in packing really light sleep gear if I'm going to have a questionable night's sleep anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, through that process of just, uh, I guess, just being uncomfortable, you, you start to realize, okay, I need these things. And then... You work out your own system to where now I can pack, you know, if I was going on a bike trip this afternoon, I could probably have everything packed in an hour because you have like a pretty good system of what I need. Let's speak about packing before you you go too far ahead. Let's just start right at the beginning, you know, the packing process. Um, One of the questions I got sent in was, you know, common things packed by people or yourself in the beginning that you think you need but you know you can leave it home because you're not going to use it anyway, you know? So, like, those things that you commonly just continually packed until it gets to, like, I don't know, the fifth trip in, you're like, why am I still bringing this thing? You know, like, I still haven't used it. I keep thinking that I'm going to use it. Yeah, um, I used to pack a full spare chain, like, print cut. when <laughs> it worked out. I was like, I could carry, carry like, three quick links in the chain tool instead and like replace it what else uh i used to carry a full spare tire oh yeah i was gonna ask you if you'd carried one of them yeah but now i just carry a lot more boots and super glue um yeah and like i'd rather carry you know more boots and super glue maybe an extra tube than go a full tire have you actually ever cut a tire so bad that it's unrideable no i've never had to fully switch uh, a tire like during the old tour i had to i did take a spare tire and i had to use it but that's purely just because i've worn through the rear tire yeah and i was desperate to make it all the way it was on the outskirts of paris i finally flattered the game and i had to switch it to the brand was it one. completely cut or were you just like that's it i'm done i do not want to punch it yeah, but it was just on the canvas you know and i was just like i've flattered this so i was like i, I I can't get my head around changing another flat. And yeah, even though I knew how deep the tire was buried the most deep in the bag, you know, because you haven't used it at all. They have to get everything out to get to it. But I was just like, just do it now. So I guess, yeah, I have used it once. But uh, beyond that, there's nothing really I've um, like fully stopped packing. I think you just changed the mod- modality a bit, you know, um, like mm. you, instead of carrying a vest and then a long sleeve rain jacket and then like a hat now i just carry one big big rain jacket that has a hood and you just kind of cancel out it's a jack of all trades that gets worn for warmth after the day that gets worn if it's raining that gets worn you know on a descent whatever yeah or like the the t-shirt 
or long shirt that I would carry for off the bike. Now I just have like I carry like a long sleeve undershirt and neck thing that I can use if it gets really cold. I, I very rarely have to use it riding, so it's good for off the bike. But then you kind of kill two birds with one stone. So I think you just slowly gravitate to like for me it's like I, I go to the exact same pieces of kit that I've found um then I'm like all right this works and I can use this for this um certain situation or that certain situation and I'll be covered what about when you're packing in terms of visually do you like to still do the full layout on the on the ground you know you see people put the photos up and you know yeah neatly I packed think, and all that I think before I do something um like big in terms of where I'm trying to go fast, I still do that um, because I think when you're trying to go fast, it's very important to pack everything in a way you are having everything you need accessible um, on top of the bags or like like mm. when you get to them quickly. So you you when you can see everything, you're able to pack more efficiently. I think in that in terms of more like where everything sits on your bike, I I basically just break things into categories you know so i'll have like sleep gear on bike clothes off bike clothes and then like electronic accessible yeah i electronic electronic so within that i'm thinking like my um my battery packs my charger my lights and then your devices in terms of like wahoo and and those things um so i I think like everything electronic and then everything uh mechanical and then build out that way that way and i also generally end up packing in different compartments in that kind of format keeping it all split so it's all just getting mixed up yeah exactly and and then the needs and demands it's easier to look at things and be like okay well this trip's going to be really cold so i need to beef up on sleeping bags so then like that takes care of itself and then like riding clothes electronics stay the same mechanical maybe i need more because this one's going to be pretty technical and then potentially hard on the bike or this one's on the road so i can cut way down on that once you start to work out you're like oh i cut down on that so i can add something more maybe here like have a few more items that are like comfort luxury stuff yeah exactly what what is it what's a luxury item for you well you go you know what I really probably shouldn't be taking this, but I just, I need it. The foam mat. If I can fit the foam oh, yeah. mat, um, that's like a luxury because I prefer, I'm more comfortable on that than an air mat. It's obviously like way bigger, takes way more space. Like one that just doesn't pack down, one that just rolls. Like yeah, a, like a false like roll. ones that are kind of like a foldable one. Uh, oh, yeah. So if yeah. you take a full one of those, it's a big, it's a big chunk of space, you know. Taking some... When you get like common like long johns, I guess, just like woolen long pants for like having oh, yeah, very, like thermals, yeah, like for off the bike, those things are nice. Yeah, I don't know, like, there's not too many things that I wish I had beyond my normal setup, you know. Mm. Like, I think maybe when you, you look at like a burner, like having hot food and a pot, mm. those things, like, I feel like once the trip's beyond like four or five days. The morale boost of having like a hot meal, it's just take like it's a trade off that you just make. You know, it's not yeah. really a question. And then you also have the freedom to, you know, not be reliant on getting a hot meal from someone else. What about a MacGyver, MacGyver type op, um, item? Do you have anything that's sort of like a bit tricky, you know, like a, I don't know, like a kind of 
I know you carry a little flick knife with you. Yeah, um, I, always, I always carry a knife and you use it like a lot, surprisingly a lot. Um, keep people away and stuff, fairs and yeah. comforting to know you've got it when there's fairs out there, even though <laughs> the bear would probably just take it off you and use it on it. But so we're always good to have super glue and zip ties. Oh, super glue. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. it's like super glue you can use on a lot of things. It's really good with tires. Even, you know, when you're using plugs and stuff, if you got like a tricky hole, super glue can work wonders. Uh, and same with zip ties. Like, but when you're attaching things to your bike, there's always a chance that things can break or whatever. And you can do a lot with, with zip ties. Or even like if you break a ring and that sort of thing, you can use zip ties to kind of like hold things in, in place. So I've always got like probably seven or eight zip ties like stashed away in there in the bag if it's longer a bit of extra sealant is good um but yeah i think you can do a lot with that uh like with electronic gearing and stuff everything's a bit more complicated mm. there are things that sort of end up out of your hands that you couldn't really regardable um but if you're running mechanical like a an extra um gear cable and that sort of thing are handy but yeah at, at a certain point like i'm kind of like if the bike kit is still functional, um, I'm just going to ride it. I'm not someone who needs to, like, fix things so they work perfectly. I like to fix things so they're functional and then I'm happy. <laughs> well, headphones can take care of quite a lot of creaks and, and squeaks, <laughs> can't they? Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking about clothing, you have spoken a lot about the clothing, but um, a couple of questions I got was, and it's something that you know, I was challenged with actually when I did the Sweden trip. Um, I think because it's, I'm talking about our ass now. Because I think what happened was when I did Sweden, I was already a bit in trouble down there because I was a road pro and you're always in a bit of trouble when you're a roadie. Now I'm not riding as much. I only do 10 hours a week. I actually never have saddle sores, you know, lo and behold, because I'm half the time on the bike. So tell me what happens with you. I actually took chamois cream on that trip, length of Sweden. It didn't really help. And I think it was just more of a mental thing. Um, because once you sort of get everything warmed up down there after about half an hour, you don't feel anything anyway. So, what about you? I've seen you ride, I think it was the Colorado Trail in just shorts. Um, do you take nicks, like two pairs of nicks? What do you do around saddle sores and keeping comfortable down there? I mean, I think for me, like having the right uh, like position that suits the type of riding you're doing you know like i also think the reason as a road pro you get more saddle sores is because your position's more aggressive so i think starting at that point like you probably run your saddle a little bit lower i would say uh, it doesn't have to be huge but like a half centimeter can do a lot in terms of that pressure uh and then playing with the angle um so probably a little bit more nose down i think as it gets longer definitely helps to take some pressure out of there gives you the ability to move on the saddle a bit so you're not just like hitting one spot i think that's like important i take chamois cream for anything longer than in uh like five days oh you do take it what do you take a little tub or just like a little bag for i take uh i just take a little chimmy bag it's more so again like that mental thing of like if there's someday you're really struggling with it then like the idea of getting moving in the morning because like you said it's just the first half hour 
And sometimes the chamois cream takes the sting out in that first half hour a bit. But beyond that, yeah. it's the same. But sometimes you just need that mental, like, oh, yeah, all right, I'm cracking the chamois cream out today. But, yeah, more recently I've started to do a mix of um, shorts and chamois. So riding without a chamois. Actually. Riding no chamois yeah. and then um, sometimes with a chamois. I think, like, seats are so much better now than they were. So, like, you do just kind of sit better on your sit buns because the, the saddles are, you know, like they're a bit flatter. They have like systems where you're not really just like sitting right on your taint, basically. Uh, so shorts, uh, once you get used to it, you can actually do a lot without a chamois. A chamois is still more comfortable, but I think, again, it's like the variety. Like, mm. so if, yeah, for Colorado Trail, I did the first half just in shorts and then you start to, you know, like as always, you get like some sort of, friction points when i put your chamois on the friction points are like totally different so you kind of get like you know fresh ass <laughs> second half have you ever thought about getting shorts made without chamois like as in bike shorts yeah i think that would be like ideal uh, mm. you know like shorts they do get annoying just because like they don't sit in one spot yeah i think if if i could have like a chamois left set of mix i would probably use those in conjunction still with a chamois and just alternate um but also just like it's good to have like another set of shorts just because like if you're the biggest thing with chamois is you have to keep them very clean um yeah so like i always take a big bit of soap so i can like absolutely scrub them uh every day then like it's good to have another chamois that's dry so you never like get using a wet chamois yeah, that was a piece of... I can't remember who gave me that advice. I think it was you to take two pairs of Nicks. And you're thinking at the time, yeah, but I'm just trying to save weight, you know, and all these sort of ideas. And then you've got like, I don't know, a book in there or something. It's like, that's the, essentially like five pairs of Nicks in weight, you know? So, it's like, once you get over that, you're like putting on a dry pair of shorts and then you pull out that slightly damp pair when you arrive and you know that's going to dry easily overnight and the, yeah. the set that you wash. And it just it's a nice um, process, that two-day process to dry the shorts. Yeah, exactly. And in uh, during the old tour, I just ran like a, an inner tube around my rear pack. And that, oh, yeah. that was like the clothesline. So I would just tie the chamois, the mix on the outside or anything that was wet and still needed to dry it. I would just tie it to the tube so it's just out and drying. Just flapping in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't like have it like, not like fully hanging off the back, but like tied in a way where it's like getting sound or whatever. But yeah, it's just like a little clothesline on the back. <laughs> Well, it's all things bikepacking this week on the pod. Let's talk about a really cool new product just released by my friends over at Restrap who have gone away and collaborated with Quok. Now, Quok, they're an independent company who was born in London, focused on high-performance, comfortable cycling shoes from everything cycling, road, alternate, and now with the help of Restrap, they've created an amazing bikepacking sandal. Well, why is it a bikepacking sandal, you say? Well, Restrap, who are known for their bikepacking bags, have helped design a system where the sandals strap right to the outside of your saddlebag with a locking buckle. Finally, you're saying, we have a way to carry our shoes while adventuring. Such a conundrum when you're packing your gear. Where can I put my shoes? 
where they're going to fit. How can I strap them on the outside? Because you know when you get to the end of the day, when you're setting up camp or you're walking down to the pub, you need to get out of your bike shoes into something else comfortable. But what I do love about these sandals too is that they've got a grippy anti-slip sole. So like when you're doing those long hiker bike sections, you can just get out of your bike shoes and throw these on and get walking. These are really cool. I can speak firsthand as I've been cruising around in them for the last few weeks and they're super comfy. So guys, get across to restrap.com. That's R-E-S-T-R-A-P.com and chuck in the code Peloton10 and get yourself some because they're really cool and that's what you need when you're bikepacking. What about shoes? Like this is something that I've struggled with over the last few years is trying to find the right shoe that one serves the purpose what I need when I get there. Um, Sometimes I just go with the gravel shoes and use them as the shoes to walk around in. But then sometimes it's nice just to get out of your shoes, but you can't go into a pub with bare feet so or wherever you are. And they're annoying to pack. What do you do for shoes? Just started using like the the hybrid toe shoes. They're great because like they are a shoe. They pack like really small or you could fit them in your pocket. I, I hate it when I can't get out of my bike shoes at the end of the day. And also like I've had enough issues where just from your feet being wet, you kind of end up getting like like a trench foot basically. Um, and you really need to be able to dry them out. Um, yeah. That's why I also like to have like some wool socks to wear like off the bike. Ah. Um, like again, seems like a luxury item, but it's like it's very necessary, I think, to like keep your feet good and healthy. I, I, um, I almost never wear road shoes anymore. I just prefer the like during the day, the walkability and mm. convenience of having um, like a, an SPD shoe. Yeah, for, for, for the amount of benefit you get out of a, a road shoe over a gravel shoe, it's, it's questionable anyway when we're just rolling a roll. We're not talking about, you know, hyper centers, you know, trying to drop someone up a Mon Von 2 or something, are we? Yeah, and, and all those things, they only really matter at like a very high power. Yeah. You know, like when you're sprinting out of a corner or, you know, like in the gutter or like those, like when you're like, all right, I'm really putting out maximum power here. Whereas now, I, like, I think I prefer a shoe that's not quite as stiff uh, and maybe doesn't have like a full plate so that they're mm-hmm. way more walkable. And even I think when you're pedaling for really long periods of time, it's actually good to have a bit of give in them. I was going to say, is that something you sort of became aware of because of a roundabout situation at the old tour um, and obviously going way to the other end of the spectrum and riding the, you know, target Birkenstocks for the rest of the trip? Do you realize at that point there, like, oh, actually, I can do a lot in a normal shoe and this is doing a lot for me? Yeah, totally. Um, like, I think, to be honest, on really long things, like the difference between a flat pedal and a clip-in pedal are like negligible. Uh, hmm. Like in, in my experience, it's only when you're going like above a threshold pace uh, that like the train-off starts to, you know, favor a clip-in shoe. But yeah, I think for, for really long stuff, like I would gravitate more towards a, a more relaxed cleat at least or just like even flats I think are uh, a good option. You know, especially when it comes to if someone hasn't spent a lot of time on the bike or they're pretty time crunched beforehand, um, I think like your chances of injury and that are pretty like reduced, pretty significant. Mm. Let's talk about bags. Um, A massive point to the trip 
Um, I guess I just want to sort of hear about your setup, something that I learned from you and maybe you've changed now because you've got the um, tail fin, is it called? Um, you know, when you first spoke to me about bags, I think back to that trip, you were like, you probably want a fair bit of weight in the front. And I was thinking of packing quite a lot of stuff in that roll that you initially lent me. Yeah. And then having the back quite light, um, just purely because you don't want that sort of tail fin. You don't want yeah. a big sort of tail whip at the whip. back. Yeah. Turbo whip, we like to call it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, something that's moving around when you get out of the seat and all that sort of things. What's your opinion now and how do you sort of like to pack your bike? What do you think works best in terms of distributing the weight over the bags? Yeah, I think um, the lower you can get the weight, the better. So, you know, I think it's simple to put it on the handlebars because like that is lower than in the seat generally. But also when you're riding out of the seat, it's a more static position. The I've started to use like a, a roll that kind of fits below the down tube. So I, I kind of... Near the bottom bracket. Yeah, I kind of run all like the spares and stuff that I really hope I don't have to use, but he's quite heavy down there, which helps to like take a bit of weight from being up high. The rack I use now is like rigid on the rear, so you can get away with packing it a bit heavier and it doesn't move as much. But I think like you want to avoid putting too much weight in any one spot, really. Mm. Um, I think like if you are sort of stuck with only two options because i think a lot of people generally it's like all right they're going to run a saddle bag uh where they're going to put a lot of weight and then they're going to run uh, like a front roll because they're the two obvious options um i would tend towards making sure you had a pretty significant front roll to keep a bit more weight there um it also i think it helps the bike handle a bit better keeps the weight kind of on the front and yeah. And that, that front tire, like, pretty grounded. What about fork mounts? I mean, fork mounts are sweet. That's, like, ideal. But I think, like, they're um, kind of bike dependent. They're, you can get around it a little bit with, uh, like, different aftermarket sort of, like, fork mounts. But then you're generally dealing with, like, an, a separate fixture. So, like, whether that's zip tires or something. And then that's just stuff that over the course of if you're doing a significant ride those things kind of tend to become a weak point so i think if you if you have the proper mounts like where you can mount a bag directly mm -hmm. to the bike that's the best you should run with that like fork mounts are great because it keeps everything low and like the handling is you know much better um and for people who are going fast like on their own i guess they would probably worry about like the aero implications of that um but yeah i don't know what about this? I actually got a question sent in. Is weight as much as of a factor in bike packing as it is in world tour racing? No, I think, like I said, my perspective on that has shifted a lot. Like, yeah, you don't want to carry so much that like <laughs> it it makes the bar the bike just like a nightmare to ride or super slow. Well, I don't. Yeah. I've kind of learned that like the amount of energy I would spend worrying about not having something would add up to be more than just bringing it if that makes sense um even like just being comfortable knowing you have like a really thick sleeping bag and a waterproof bivy that you'll be comfortable no matter where you end up you know you, you're much more comfortable to push further into more questionable situations just because you know you're covered you forget about the weight if you get cold once you know, the the idea of having a life, you know, light set up kind of feels pretty stupid at that point, you know. So, 
I, I carry more now than when I started, and uh, I think it doesn't really slow me down. What about aerodynamics? You did mention it before, and something that I had at Sweden was pre-aero setup, even aero bags. I was using like a underneath the aero bars. I had a nice bag mounted there. Everything was was seamless, and it was actually a perfect trip for that because yeah. we were doing mainly. 35 40k an hour the whole time not knowing much i just sort of went into it don't even know why i went that aero option that was what restrap supplied me with so i went for it but actually in hindsight it was the best setup yeah. are you thinking about aerodynamics sometimes like colorado trail are you thinking this is probably going to catch a bit of wind or colorado not? trail not at all because i think yeah. the average speed is like 12k an hour or something for that i would definitely favor uh, like a the weight distribution more like working that out and putting something like there i used a fork mount that yeah would be horrible in a wind tunnel um but it kept the the weight in a really nice spot and it meant i could get to my sleeping gear super easy and then that took preference whereas like at the alto where i was cranking along like pretty quick i ended up using like i got like a a full uh, frame bag made put everything like in the middle of the bike yeah it was significantly more aero because i think i could get away with not running as much up the front in that scenario like yes that was that was helpful but i think with the second you're kind of getting more off-road i think the handling of the bike and the way it's secured becomes more important accessibility is like a big thing especially when you're racing or try to push on a bit like doing big days or whatever if your gear is not easy to get to you don't use it when you should you know like because you're just like oh, i'll just keep pushing on oh it's too annoying to get to exactly which is that's when you make mistakes because you're like ah, oh, you know this food is like underneath that and i'm getting a bit hungry i could get it you're like oh, i'll just wait and then you know you don't eat enough or like it starts to sprinkle a bit instead of just being like all right i'm gonna stop now rain pants jacket stay totally dry you wait or push on yeah and you're like ah maybe the rain will pass then it gets more heavy and at that point you're soaked and then you're cold and then you put the rain jacket on and it doesn't matter then having things like you know accessible and and quick to get at i think that should be a priority even over aerodynamics you know what about bag on you you know and i know you've had a camelback at say Badlands um, and, and numerous other events. But what about actually, I had this idea about having a jersey that actually had more pockets on it, you know, to be able to access, you know, gels and little things on you. Because even though people like get the weight off your body, get it on the bike, you know, sometimes it's that fact that you've got to go, you've probably got to stop, unclip, unzip a compartment, get it out. If it's actually on you, even though it's more weight on your body, I felt like I would probably access it more. Yeah, and I, I think that's um, that's definitely valid. Especially, uh, I use uh, like often use the Camelback or like the pack I use has like quite a few pockets on it. Plus, I use like the the Rafa uh, Cargo Nick, so I have two pockets there mm. and then three in the back. And I make sure the the pack I use, I can get into all my jersey pockets too. So then, yeah, that that becomes really good for food and food is something you want to be able to get at, like your food and and your farm. Um, Like you kind of always need to be able to get at that or like having a light vest or whatever it is in the pocket there is definitely helpful. Like, yes, there is validity to the fact that having more weight on the body will be more difficult, you know, like there is like slightly more strain on your hands and your back, Mm. your ass. 
especially if it's technical, like the ability to keep drinking all the time without having to get your hands off the bars. Mm-hmm. Those things, I think, is it, it makes it worthwhile, but it, it becomes very dependent on the ride and the terrain you're doing. And even at like Badlands, I made sure I had enough space in my bag that after the, the first day when the backpack finally did get annoying, um, I did notice the weight of it. I just packed it into my bag, you know, so like you had both options. Which goes back to like another tip I would say is never have your bags. Well, if your bags are packed to absolute capacity when you're leaving, you don't have you're a in trouble. Because you're never going to be able to like pack that mat down as tight as it is the first time around, you know, when you cross eyed or like when you end up like at a store and all they've got is like baguettes and Pringles, like... They're not packed down, you know, but you still need to just run with, with what you can. So it's always good to have a little bit extra space because you're use it. Let's talk about bikes now and I guess tires, break it down into those two things. Uh, one of the questions I got was what determines the choice of bike, road bike, gravel bike or mountain bike? Pretty self-explanatory in my thoughts but maybe you got a different answer it's just purely the the route you know you just look at the terrain no yeah exactly and i always will lean towards over biking a little bit now um again going back to that idea of being comfortable with your setup um mm. i really hate the feeling of having to nurse a bike through something rocky or technical or whatever mm. like say riding a gravel bike on something on a mountain bike course you're like i could get through with this on the gravel bike and it'll be faster on those three road sectors of 2k but like for the 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 180k that's on single trail it's going to be annoying as hell yeah it's going to be annoying and i'm going to be constantly thinking about trying not to flat if your body does weird things when you you're carrying that stress like your shoulders get really tight uh your hands get tight just because you're a bit more under the pump whereas if you've got a bike where you're like okay i can rip through here you know it's just like one, it's more comfortable, but two, it's just way less uh, stress. Obviously, like, yeah, if if it's a 1,000K route and there's, like, 50Ks of gravel, then you start to think, all right, what am I going to do here, gravel, road, bike? And then it comes down to just doing your research and then remembering in that 50K, all right, I really have to just cool it here because I knew mm-hmm. this was going to be the case. And if I you know, spend three hours changing flat tires here, it's going to quickly negate the, you know, a little bit of rolling resistance. What about when when you think about our trip, um, Rat to Radelaide? Okay, we had 300k of gravel and 900k of road. When you think about the setup you had, um, and I know that was determined on you just finishing the nationals and you did the best you could, if you could have had an ideal setup there now, and I know people are a bit more aware of that trip so they can relate to it. So I went road bike with 32 mil tires. Pretty happy with that setup. I wouldn't probably change anything. What about you now? I would just go uh, 38s on the gravel bike. Again. Oh, gravel bike. Yeah, right. So bigger tire. You were 32s, weren't you? Just for like then you can have more fun off, off-road, you mm-hmm. know, because like as it's so nice when you – on those gravel roads, like especially in that part of the world, right? You don't want to be in the back of your mind thinking like, oh, I'm trying not to fly it here. Uh, like it, it kind of, it can take something away from it. I think like the thing with with the rolling resistance, it tires and that, it's just, it's a lot about speed, right? So like, you know, when we showed up to that bunch ride the next day, 
and I'm on nobbies. Like at 50k an hour, it really sucks. Right? <laughs> like at 30k an hour, it's a lot less of a difference. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, you got to also factor in that you're like you're not moving at normal speeds. What about tires now? In terms of what determines your tire choice, you sort of touched on that a little bit. Then, are you really? changing around your tires having using vittoria last year in a way for me i wouldn't say they're limited choice but they sort of had a stock choice and it sort of in the end allowed me to sort of limit that choice and make everything work within that range um you know like i mean on the gravel it doesn't go above a 38 so you don't start thinking oh should i run a 40 should i run a 42 should you know blah 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 um and on the mountain bike they've got that choice so no what about you like because I know it's a common question you get. I think, like, I was pretty lucky in that I started with that uh, Victoria 38 Mezcal. Oh, not Mezcal, Torino Dry. And that was just the first tire I used for gravel. And it actually turns out to be, like, a really good, versatile tire. You can do a lot on that tire. And then I think once you get to know what your tires can and can't do, that's really helpful. You know, because you, you know, it's like, okay, if this is really rocky here in this section, I do need to just back the, the speed off. Or you're like, oh, actually, I, I can rip this terrain pretty fast and not be too worried about flats. Um, so understanding first and foremost, like what your tire is, because there is no ideal tire for everything, you know. But yeah, from there, like, there's like a, a wet, a mix, and a slick. And so that's pretty self explanatory. Um, I think the the wet tires are when there's mud. It's important to use like a proper wet because um, otherwise you will pick up a lot of mud. Um, and then playing with size is then the other thing you can do, right? So now they have like a, a 45, I think, Nescal, which I've used a few times on the gravel bike. So it's pretty like significantly bigger. I've also used like a 2.1 mountain bike tire on the front of my gravel bike before, just to almost use it like a shock just have oh yeah volume. run less pressure run like 15 psi and then you like can absorb a lot of that and that was doing like a, a gravel stage race where it wasn't really it was more about keeping your body together for the whole period of the, the event yeah unfortunately with tires i think it is trial and error and everyone always wants to know you know what the best tire is but like i've been to unbound and run that Torino dry 38 and had zero flats and wasn't overly cautious and then the next time had four flats feeling like i was being cautious so it just sometimes there is certainly some luck to it but again i think especially nowadays with the high speed and the more condensed like bunch bunch style racing you're always better with more volume in the tire because you can see less you know and when you go fast it's much easier to just miss that one rock that you know you get and and will pinch flat you yeah and like like you said like going back to say a 33 mil opposed to say a 38 you're really not feeling the difference in the few sectors that you're going to get on the road um you're never going to come to a bunch sprint where you're winning by a tire width anyway so yeah exactly what's going to kill you is a puncher where you're standing on the side of the road for 15 minutes changing it yeah Totally. And then, like, pressure is hugely important um, because you can have, like, the nicest tire in the world, but if you pump it up to 60 PSI, it's going to feel horrible. And you're going to slide around everywhere. 
So, yeah, like I kind of always start gravel racing at like 30 and then you either go kind of up or down depending on what the terrain is. I think almost always the lower pressure is faster. Let's talk about then in terms of pressure now because it's a really good is is tubeless. Tubes, diner plugs, bacon strips, patches, you know, what are we doing? You know, obviously, in my opinion, obviously you want to start tubeless. I think the way where tubeless has come from and what it is now, it's really good. And then what are you doing when you punch out? And, you know, I think when I first started using tubeless, I was just really unaware of how to fix a tire or anything. So I would just put straight a tube in. I was just a bit too scared to even go there. I'm like, oh, I've got no idea what I'm doing. Just put a tube in, you know. You know, now I'll play around with it a bit more, play around with Dyna plugs and, you know, maybe even patch it. Um, something I became aware of is that you can actually reseed the tire pretty pretty easily um, when you're out on the road. What are you doing? What's your process um, when you punch it now? Uh, I usually carry um, like just the like bacon strips, you call them. And then I'll carry like big ones and small ones and have them like on me ready to go. Because, you know, the quicker you can get a plug like in there, the more likely you are to be able to get away with not having to pump it back up. So because a lot of the flats you get racing uh, are just like either small pinch flats or like tiny cuts that you can just mm. put a plug in and, it, and it, it'll just seal it. You do have to practice that method, you know, of getting the plug in there properly and out. Did you literally practice that or you just practice it because you've had punches? I just practice it through having it out training. But like if you're going to go into an event having never used them and thinking you'll know exactly how to do it, like it is pretty straightforward, but I would practice. But how, how do you practice? Yeah, you get a, a worn tire. Even just like if it's still inflated, you could stick the like the fork into it and and puncture it and pull it out and if it's sealed again they've essentially done it right but you also need to look at the whole when you flat it and work out do i need a big one or a small one that's like mm-hmm. basically my process and then i also carry the little darts um because i think they're helpful to kind of like sometimes if it's really big you might put a, a baggage strip in and then like a dart kind of on the side just to fully seal it and then again like super glue is helpful if it's like not quite holding you sometimes glue it and hold it and in the work yeah that that's like my go-to is just the the strips i think they work really well and you can fix most most ties with them i also use like inserts uh which i think helps like negate a lot of pinch flats that you would otherwise have yeah that's that's like my go-to um and then obviously you carry a, a tube for like worst case scenario yeah ideally you don't have to use it may one of the things that I'm actually quite amazed about myself and only doing a few trips is is lights and charging and your phone that you've got to have charged in and your Wahoo you've got to have charged because you've done way longer trips than I have and I'm sort of always worrying a little bit about how I'm going to charge it, extra battery pack. What do you do when you're on the road um, with charging and stuff? Uh, I just take like a, a battery pack. I think the one I use is about 25,000 whatever they call milliamp. Whatever the unit is, I use like 25,000, uh, which is a lot. Uh, I think you probably charge your phone like seven or eight times with that. Um, right. And I have one that you can take, you can put like three or four cords in um, so you can charge things simultaneously. That's how I basically run the power of everything because um, you need to be able to charge 
Yeah, Wahoo, uh, Lights and the phone and potentially all at the same time. Um, and then I double up on, uh, I always take two Wahoos. Ah, so you have one charging in the bag at the same time. I have time. one charged, yeah, with the root and everything fully. Normally, I don't have to use it. If for whatever reason I make a mistake on charging, I yeah. guess I'll have one there ready to go and I'll know where I have to go. I do the same with lights. Most of the time I use um, just the headlamp, like a, a really strong, it's like this Phoenix headlamp, um, and I carry two so I can run them both high. You mean you have two on at the same time or you have one to replace the other one? I have one to replace the other one. So I could do like a night with it just like cranked up full gas. You don't have to worry about nursing light or going low light just to preserve battery because um, that's mm. like a pain. During Colorado Trail, I actually used also two handlebar mounted lights uh, that just had replaceable batteries. Oh, like double A's or something. Yeah, which were rechargeable that I, I did also recharge. But then on something like that where it's really technical, um, that's one thing I learned uh, the first time around that you really need to have a lot of light at night. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, it goes back to that idea that like uh, more is better. You think you're going to sit in bonnet and like it, it's going to help, but it doesn't. What about dyno hubs? Like I know as Swaino went into the dyno hub for GB Duro because um, he was worried about, you know, charging and all that, but don't think he had a great experience with it. I don't don't hold him to that, but I remember him not being that wrapped with it. But what's your experience there? I've I've never used one. Um, I think if you had one that was reliable and you knew how it worked, yeah, you, you could trust it, then I think it would be really nice. It would solve a lot of problems, uh, especially once it got beyond like four or five days because the thing when you're using a battery pack, you are kind of limited to the fact that at least once every three days you need to be able to, sleep somewhere where you can charge um i mean a lot of a lot of camping grounds you can charge there and it's no issue but if you do get caught out like you are you do still need external charge somewhere so yeah to be able to produce your own power that would be nice but i just think i haven't invested enough time in using one like outside of competition or whatever that uh i would don't think i would take the risk Speaking of checking in and where you're going to sleep and stuff, we've got to talk about sleeping arrangements. Um, the last couple of subjects here I think we should try and cover is, you know, camping in hotels. I'm typically a hotel guy or motel, pub, whatever you want to call it when I go out my bike tripping now. Um, but we've done some stuff camping out together. Um, I've done bivy. I've also done tent. I've got a cool little tent now. I remember sort of thinking that bivy was the way to go. It's light, you know. That's the way you got to be if you're out, you know, tripping around. You, what are you doing now? Uh, I've got like a I guess it's still considered a bivy, but it has like a couple of poles. So I mean, I don't know where you draw a line between what's a tent and what's a bivy. Uh, I guess this would be right in between. But basically, I just hate the feeling of having the. The, like the bag essentially what what is a bivy like on you um mm. i just feel like you get you get so much moisture in there and like it just gets pretty gross and uncomfortable and then also like then you basically have to your eye is sleeping bag like every time so yeah i i go for like a a bivy that has a pole and that you you peg out um just to keep all of it off you so that you, you can sleep in there comfortably and zip in and like actually sleep well. So that that's my go-to. 
One thing I noticed with you when we did that trip back from um, France, from the from the French race, um, was when we got in, you had a really good arrival routine. Um, and something I saw from Lael Wilcox too, when she stopped along her way, she had certain routines, you know, like she would stop and pull all her sleeping bag and mats out, took her like 20 seconds, and she would dry it while she went into a shop to get some food. Even if it was five, 10 minutes, she was drying it, she'd pack it back in, even though that probably took her like five minutes longer she was just working on the drying technique what are little like routines that you stick to that you know from over the time like arriving okay when i arrive i gotta do this i gotta do that i gotta do this like i know you've got your little routines what's what's your arrival routine uh basically find flat ground first thing and if you can find like something with a little bit of coverage um from a tree or something that's like my preference uh just in case it does rain or just even general moisture uh like mist in that um you stay a bit drier if you got some coverage and then i like to set up the tent first and chuck the mat in um and leave leave the bag out like you said hang it for a bit especially if i've used it the night before just to let it dry while i get food and that ready and then from there if I can wash, um, that's like next stop. <laughs> you know, like yeah. get changed, get out of everything I've been wearing and get whatever I have been wearing as clean as possible so that it's drying straight away. And then once I'm comfortable, have a change of clothes, I'll like get food going, like whatever I'm going to eat. And then as soon as I finish eating, then I'm like get everything charged before you sleep like get just get everything whatever you need to charge make sure it's going yeah i only like throw the bag in generally sleeping bag just before i go to bed i have like in the same little pouch inside of my bivy i keep like an eye mask and earplugs oh uh they just like live in there once i zip up and i'm in there like i'm out to the world my <laughs> just sleep like a baby in there <laughs> Do you start preparing stuff for the next day? Like, okay, I know I'm going to be tired in the morning, so I should probably prepare that front bag that I know I'm not going to access in the morning or whatever. Or you just go straight to sleep, get up earlier and do all that straight away in the morning. Uh, I try and if, if there's anything I know I'm not going to need, I try and pack it the night before, um, like just before I go to bed. So like if I've cooked and I know I'm not going to use the burner in the morning, I'll like put that away. Like, yeah, basically leave it to just the last stuff I've slept in that I have to just pack up and do in the morning. But I like to give myself like enough time from when I, I don't like to rush when I get up. So I'd rather wake up 10 minutes earlier and pack everything right because if you're trying to rush like rolling a tent mostly if you bag, you know you end up doing it three times it's also a good indication i think of how long it takes you to get ready and moving as to how fresh you are because uh, the more tired you get it just takes longer and longer but yeah i, I mean I, I don't think my morning routine is as dialed as when i'm finished it still takes a bit in that that next morning to get everything packed away but i think making sure you like take stock when you are packing in the morning of how damp things are is a good thing to just get in the habit of because then you know it's like okay if i don't find somewhere to dry this tent and sleeping bag today it's going to be wet when i get there and that's really going to suck you know so then at least just being aware of those things Speaking of the morning routine, coffee, really important, and you've got pretty great instant. Um, something that I was laughing about with you, probably the first podcast we did together would have been, I don't know, three, four years ago now. 
you're an instant man. I was like, how can you just drink that stuff all the time? And you so far, so much so that you used to just drink it cold. I saw you do it a few times. Horrendous. But you started Pretty Great Instant, your own little instant coffee brand, um, because instant is a great way to I was like, oh, I'll just take coffee in a grinder and, you know, pour do pour over and all this stuff. It's just not necessary, is it? No, no. Like, yeah, with a group of guys in Sacramento, I uh, came up with a, an instant coffee that is actually really, really good. Luckily for me, I'd no longer have to have that trade-off. We've got like a really good one. And yeah, it just simplifies it. Packs down to nothing. You can mix it hot or cold. Oh, we do one that's like a cold brew. Oh, you do? Okay, <laughs> yeah, right. It's just nice because it is like like having a specialty coffee when you're like camping is like such a luxury. But this is like a good trade-off, you know? Get some of that for next trip for sure. Well, let's talk about nutrition lastly before we sort of wrap up here. Um, recovery on a trip, like as a pro, we're always in, as you know, at the top of the hill, you get your bottle full of protein, you drink as you come down, as you get in the bus, you get a two litre bottle of um hydration you're trying to guzzle that down and then you know you're having your rice and it's all about recovery i know because again we're talking about that one percenters and stuff what about you you're on these trips some of them are races um maybe it's not you know one second between you you and the other guy but it's still a race what about recovery you know like are you ever thinking about that yeah for sure um i think like the the longer it gets the more important that becomes um so like eating a good meal at the end of the day um, you know, with a mix of, of different foods uh, is important rather than just relying on sugary, you know, high high energy food all the time. So if it's longer than four or five days, I'll make sure each night I'm having like a good meal. That's when it comes to like making sure you got a burner. And I think like a good go-to for me is I just get like maybe a tin of like lentils or something and then find some soup. And then if I can get a few veggies and chuck it all in a pot and then just mix that up, that's like a good go-to. Super easy. Yeah, it's like nice, something warm. Feels like a nice end to the day. But I think generally as like my rule in terms of nutrition on a longer trip is like just follow your cravings. If you want salty food, you probably need it. You know, if you're craving something high energy and sweet, you probably need that. Staying on top of that while you're riding and then you're never so far behind that recovery is that important, you know? Definitely trying to eat something um, like right before you fall asleep is it's going to help you when you wake up, you know? So you can't be too icky. You know, chocolate milk's always a good uh, <laughs> good go-to. What about stopping in a small store? The number one thing you get on a trip, you know, and we're not talking about like a Whole Foods or something like that. It's just a small little, you know, milk bar or something like that. Yeah, they've got the general stuff in there. They've got Mars bars, they've got Chalky Milks, that sort of stuff. What's that one thing you go, you know, I, I always get that. I don't know why I do, but I just love that thing. I, I like to go with whatever. If they have anything homemade, I'll always grab some of that. Um, you know, like, cause no, no, normally like those stores, they have like one or two things, you know, yeah. they're either baked cookies or they're like the sausage roll, like just something that like they've made there because you know, you've got that, it's something different than anything you're going to get otherwise. If I'm stuck and it's just normal and my brain's not working properly, I just make sure I've got one Snickers or Mars bar for every hour. So if I'm, if, if you see if I'm struggling, I'll just go in and I'm like, all right, it's going to take me eight hours to get to the next spot. I'm going to eat Snickers. Just because it's consistent, you get it everywhere and like 
at that point, I'm more worried about like the and en- having the energy to keep pushing than I am as to what I'm putting in, you know. Um, like so, and then if it's salty, then I'm like, I'll do like a bag of chips or something, like just to have in the pocket, or like roasted nuts or something like salty. But yeah. Mate, it's been great. It's been great getting all these tidbits. I've taken a hell of a lot out of it. Again, I didn't think I was going to, but I know everyone out there listening is going to take something out of it. Do you have one last piece of advice for people either just getting into bikepacking or have been bikepacking for a while? One thing that you wish someone had told you or has told you maybe? Um, I think just don't get overwhelmed with like the amount of information out there, different gear. Um, yes, like... There are perfect tools for the job, but there are also a lot of things that um, will work. And then as I said, like when I first started, I was just using a backpack and um, filling that up with, you know, stuff I had around the house. So yeah, the further along you get, the nicer it is to have really good equipment. But if you're just starting out, run what you brown. Awesome luck. Great to speak to you, mate. Yeah, nice fun there. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that one. I hope you were able to learn something out of that. I like throwing in a tech episode every so often just to sort of top ourselves up with a little bit of extra knowledge you don't know. I still learned something out of that. I am far from the master when it comes to bikepacking. And I think actually just talking to Lockie, you're always just sort of tweaking things depending what the trip is, depending how far it is, and depending what the new products are out there. You're always just tweaking it around a bit. Always good chatting to Lockie, love having him on the pod and love picking his brains about all things off-road. Like I said at the start of the episode, a big thanks to everyone who got their hands on some of that Life in the Peloton beer. There could be another little Life in the Peloton beer coming later in the year. Let's keep our fingers crossed and we can make a lot more beer for everyone to drink who doesn't love drinking beer, let alone Life in the Peloton beer. Big thanks to Meg behind the scenes and of course, Will Jones, who puts these episodes together for you guys to listen to. Guys, next week is a great episode. I've got Talking Luft with our man, Jai Hindley while the Giro is on. So guys, until then, cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.